Hello and welcome to the Mission Recovery Podcast. My name is Maruf Ahmed and I'm the co-founder of Quit Genius, the world's leading digital clinic for substance addictions. I'm going to be speaking to inspiring individuals about their journey to addiction recovery. Recovery should be celebrated and the goal of Mission Recovery is to break down the stigma surrounding addictions and to empower others to live addiction-free lives. This is Mission Recovery. Welcome to the latest episode of the Mission Recovery Podcast. In today's episode, I'm very honored to be joined by Kirsty Setters-Jones. Kirsty is the national leader for health management at Willis Towers Watson. She has more than 25 years of experience in corporate health management and well-being. She helps many large employers across the US develop health management programs that align with their strategies, including behavioral health programs. She's a true subject matter expert in this space, and I'm excited to learn more from her today. Kirsty, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Maroof. I appreciate you uh, asking me to join today. The pleasure's all mine, Kirsty. I tried my best to, to summarize your very impressive resume in just a few lines, but I don't think I did it justice, Kirsty. So for the listeners, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Thank you, Maroof. I think you did a great job. Um, not much more to, to add to that. I do have many, many years of experience in, in this space. Um, actually owned my own consulting company prior to moving to South Florida and working on the brokerage side of the business. I'm proud to be with Willis Towers Watson. Um, we have a great team of consultants, clinical uh, expertise, and public health, health experts across the country that support our clients. So we, we really do run the gamut of wellness to well-being to health management. Um, so whatever strategies our clients are looking to implement, we pretty much have a solution for them and help them walk through best practices and any type of benchmarking that might be available as well. Amazing. And yeah, the work yourself and your team doing is is incredible. So thank you so much for all the hard work that you guys do there. Kirsty, it's been a crazy year with so much change, as you know. So I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on what you've seen are the current focus points for employers and their benefit programs. Wow. You know, that's the pandemic certainly has thrown a curveball into everyone's lives. Certainly has. We talked a lot about pre-pandemic. We talked a lot about mental health, behavioral health, you know, MSK, those types of virtual care even prior to the pandemic. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, those ideas and and strategies were just amplified, right? We started seeing um, a a shift from that in-person care to more virtual care. We started seeing doctors starting to pivot and offering the you know more of um, telemedicine treatment versus that in person, we've seen anywhere from fifty to one hundred and fifty percent usage in telemedicine now. Wow! We've seen technology-based mental health services really start to to come around. Um, most of it has been COVID-related, but I think more people are starting to to get comfortable with that virtual care versus having to always be in person. Um, but we're also seeing you know, 92% of employees are feeling an- anxious because of COVID. 40% of adults are reporting struggles with mental health or substance abuse. And that was 
in mid-2020. I can only imagine what that is now over a year into this. Over 13% of adults have started or increased substance abuse during the pandemic. We've seen an, a, a major increase in adults considering suicide. So all of these things are starting to come into play, not to mention the physical toll, right? Mm. You're sitting more, you're not moving as much because gyms weren't open. Um, people were just scared to go out. Financial, you've got you know uh, employees being furloughed. You've got folks losing their jobs. Just all of this, I hate to call it a perfect storm, but really everything has just come together and it's it's across the entire well-being spectrum. Yeah, there's some crazy statistics that you shared, uh, Kirsty, mm -hmm. and I definitely agree with you there around things just being amplified and therefore accelerated, right? Telemedicine was a thing that was sort of discussed before the pandemic, but now the pandemic has come in. It's accelerated the adoption of things like telemedicine. And unfortunately, you know, there's some really big problems out there that have been amplified, like you said, like people are stuck at home, people are at risk of burnout, people are at risk of being just sad. And like you said, that sadness can lead to multiple things later down the line around mental health issues, suicidality, and this all falls under the umbrella and ultimately can lead to substance use, which like you said, has been has really spiked over the last year. Like the stat that you've mentioned there is is crazy. And one thing I was reading recently is that there's been a 25% increase in alcohol sales and an 18% increase in drug overdoses. People are yeah. at home, people are drinking more, people are buying more alcohol and it's at its highest rate ever. And like, that's staggering to hear. So I'm curious to hear what you've seen with regards to substance use and addictions with some of your employer clients and how this really has shifted some of their focuses as well. Well, I mean, just the stats alone, I think are, um, speak for themselves, but we've seen a lot of I mean, I look at mental health, substance abuse, kind of all in the, the same umbrella. Mm. And we've seen employers really try to communicate, hey, we've got this EAP. Why don't you use it? But we're really not seeing the engagement that you would think after uh, the employers are communicating that. It could be because people are just entering survival mode, right? They just don't know what to do, aren't ready to seek out that immediate support. Um, we're also seeing, you know, that shift from that in-person to, to trying to have that virtual care. And some providers just weren't able to pivot that quickly. So we have an access to care issue. So even though somebody might want help and need help, they may not be able to get it right away. I know if, if it was me and I needed to talk to somebody right away, I don't want to have to wait four to six weeks to get into a provider because they're just not available. And I think that a lot of mental health needs, especially today, may not be met in a traditional EAP type model, right? We're starting to see some more disruptors in this space that are really changing the, the face of the, of the game a little bit. So that's how we kind of see some of our employers looking as well. Certainly management training, right? Being able to identify when you have somebody on your team or one of your employees that is going through some sort of mental health issue or some substance abuse issues. And I think it starts there as well. So not only having those benefits and those um, that support and the resources available from an, uh, a corporate level, but then training your managers to know when something is occurring. 
Absolutely. And that's really interesting, actually, because from what we've heard as, as well from speaking to some employers, there's that common theme there of the AP is having quite a low utilization. I think the average utilization, something's like as low as like 3% for EAPs. Mm-hmm. And then you have the inpatient services, which can be very expensive, often out of state, out of network, and, you know, cost extortionate, like medical bills for some of these employers. But the other interesting and big issue here is that a lot of the existing support, like you've Uh, rightly pointed out there is reliant on the in-person treatment which has been tough because we've all been stuck at home right I've been stuck at the same like home office for the last 12 months (laughs) and you know I can't (laughs) wait to get back on a plane but I guess one of the good things to come out of this and like you almost touched on there was has almost paved the way for some of these disruptors in this space is there's been some emergency changes to the regulations, which means that, you know, medication assisted treatment for substance use programs can now be delivered via telemedicine. What impact do you think this is going to have in in really solving this issue? You know, I don't know if we'll ever be able to solve it. I think we're starting to get down that line, right? And I think as you start to pull the levers, pull the triggers that you need to from an employer perspective, because more and more employees are looking to their employers to to provide all of these different resources and programs and support that is needed because you spend so much time at your your job. And I do know from looking at some of the statistics, distress, anxiety, depression, it's really affecting our younger folks, that 18 to 49 Mm -hmm. instead of the 50 and over crowd. And those, that's really where you're trying to recruit uh, talent, you know, future talent for your organization. So again, I didn't mean to di- digress there too much, but I think as we start to pull the different triggers that are available, you know, looking at the different resources and benefits that are available, expanding and promoting that virtual care, um, you know, looking for, you know, group therapy sessions if needed making sure that you're communicating. And again, I I keep going back to that management training, but I think that's really that first line of defense. Looking at your PBMs, looking at your carriers, really leaning on them, making sure that you've got adequate network access, um, you know, for any type of inpatient or outpatient substance abuse treatment that might be needed. Looking at your behavioral health networks, having workplace programs that really start to decrease that stigma provide that education, and then support those members that might be at risk. And as you start pulling all of those triggers, I think you'll see things, maybe the ship, uh, you know, start to go the right way a little bit. But solving it, I think we're a long way away from that. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that that's a really interesting, a few really interesting points that you mentioned there. And stigma is something I want to touch on later on, as well as like engaging employees earlier, because that's a really, really tough problem that I don't think anyone has solved yet. So would love to touch on that in just a moment. But I guess like on the regulation change that you mentioned just at the beginning there, I think that's been a game changer, you know, for virtual care providers like Quick Genius who provide you know, medication assisted treatment programs for substance addictions. We can now, hopefully by the end of this year, cover 97% of the states. That just would not have been possible with the previous regulations that had been out there. So I guess you could almost argue that there's this, there's a wider health policy problem here too. And, you know, there's been a few temporary regulations that have helped. But my question to you, Kirsty, and this is actually my favorite question that I'm going to ask you today. If you were the president of the United States of America and you were based out in Washington in the White House, what policies and regulations would you put in place to help solve that? And I use the word solve lightly, but help with the substance use epidemic. 
Uh, Maroof, I didn't see that on my list of questions <laughs> to prepare for. So, wow, did you put me on the spot on that one? Oh, wow. I wish I could solve all the problems of the world. Um, what's the one thing I would do? Gosh, I don't know, Maroof. I might have to take that shoe on that one a little bit and join another podcast on that one because that is a really heavy question. That is, that is. And sorry for putting you on this podcast, oh, <laughs> You know, I think it's just... It's not just, I don't think it's an isolated incident, right? I don't think you can go, you can just hone in and say, okay, we've got a substance abuse issue or an addiction issue or, because I think it's so much more than that. There's so many things that could lead to that. There are people, like I said um, earlier in the, in the podcast that started drinking, started using sub, you know, substances at the beginning of the pandemic and maybe never used them before because they did not know how to cope with everything that was happening. And again, it runs that spectrum of well-being. So it's not just the emotional, the mental, the substance abuse, but it's the physical, the financial, and the social. And all of those other, I guess, avenues were just shut down. So people went right to, okay, well, I've got to do something to cope. And the only thing I know how to do is I can buy some liquor online now and get it and get it delivered to me. You know, we saw an increase with that. So I think it's a multi-pronged approach. I don't think that there's any one thing policy that you can put in place that will that will get us going in the right direction. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially that point that you mentioned on like ease of access for alcohol. Like we talked about the difficulty in access treatment, but the ease of access for alcohol is just so easy nowadays. A few clicks on your mobile phone, you can get access to alcohol and alcohol delivered right to your door. And the one thing I almost wanted to dive into a bit more detail is something that you just, I think you mentioned in previously around engaging employees earlier, because in actual fact, like the problem, and interestingly, the, the problem for employers is often far bigger than they think it is, because they have members in their population in high risk categories that are drinking more than they should be, who'd benefit from support. But that employee is just completely unaware that they need support until it's too late, and they end up in a very expensive out of network inpatient service, like we mentioned. So how do you think employers can engage members earlier in their journey? Well, I think, you know, and I hate to keep going back to EAP, but I think that's probably the most popular benefit that that employers have right now, uh, especially given the pandemic. I, I think that too often we, we've got this, oh my God, something happens. Now we've got to communicate that we have an EAP instead of having that drip campaign throughout the year say, you know, Hey, this is available to you. And mm. it's not just because you're stressed or anxious. There could be other things that you, that you need help with, especially like last summer when we were starting to talk about going back to school, caregiving was the big, the big issue and situation that employers were trying to deal with because you had remote workers, you had employees that had to wear several hats during the day. They're trying to work, they're trying to be a caregiver, whether it's educating the children at school or an elderly parent, whatever it may be, not to mention there could be some special needs there as well. So you've got these people that are trying to, to wear all of these different hats. And, and I think that it was, it was so close, like you could, they couldn't see outside the box that it's a bigger issue than just, oh my God, what am I going to do with my kid during the day, hmm. right? So coming in and saying, okay, we do have this EAP. If you need caregiving support, here's some, here's some ways that we can help you. If you need um, 
elder care support. Here's some ways we can help you. It's not just about that anxiety, depression, suicide, substance abuse. It's broader than that. Um, I also think that making sure that there is online access, digital access, maybe it's in your well-being program, to online videos to for fitness, to, to keep yourself physically fit, to, to use that as an outlet. I know that myself, I connected with my team two or three times a week just to make sure that everybody was okay. You know, who who's struggling this week? Is there child care issues? Are there elder care issues? Who has more workload? So just making sure you've got that open line of communication and knowing that your team can come to you from a management perspective. So that helped with the social. And then on the financial, you know, loosening up your requirements or your um, your parameters for being able to take out a loan against your 401k or withdrawing against your 401k if you needed the help, you know, things along that line. So again, I, I hate to keep pivoting because I don't think it's just a, a substance abuse issue. There were so many more things that need to be addressed that could lead to substance abuse. But if we start um, having some intervention earlier in the process, it may not get to that point. Absolutely. And actually, I love the approach that you took there in like that holistic nature of it, right? It's not just like the actual enrollment campaign that you're sending out. There's so many prerequisites before that and things that need to happen before that for them to even be able to access it. So I love that almost holistic approach that you're taking there. And I also definitely agree with you in the sense that there's so much that needs to be done to solve this from step one, step two, all the way through to the final step. And for us, it's it's a really big challenge and something that we're like facing at this moment in time there's all sorts of different issues that lead to members not being able to you know access or even enroll in the programs that are available to them that are being covered by their employers and we've really tried to take a different approach to this Kirsty so I think obviously historically traditional programs will be like hey here's this addiction treatment program or here's this EAP that's available to you sign up now in just a few clicks our outreach has actually been focused on trying to get members earlier on in their journey. So we're saying, hey, are you drinking healthy amounts of alcohol? And asking them if they would like to book in a free call with uh, one of our care coordinators, do they want a free health check to find out if the levels of that alcohol drinking are healthy and then they can identify themselves and also be given recommendations as to whether they actually need support because often people don't identify as even needing support so they might see that email notification or they might see like a poster on in one of their manufacturing plants but they may not associate with alcohol or even having any sorts of support needing with alcohol because they're like hey actually I drink a glass of wine a day but that's fine, right? But it might be in that slippery slope where this ease of access that you've talked about, that's now gone to two glasses of wine every night. And you know that's something that might need to be addressed and they benefit from support with. So really almost like looking at the issue from first principles and identifying how can we like try and tackle this in a different way that might help other people that aren't being targeted or haven't been targeted historically. So just really interesting thoughts and conversations. So thank you for sharing that there, Kirsty. And, and definitely agree with you, a problem that, that needs further thought, further experiments and further things that need to be done to hopefully solve it. Kirsty, I know you're familiar a little bit with the Quit Genius platform. So would love to hear your thoughts on our approach to deliver digital medication-assisted treatment program to members at the comfort of their own home. 
You know, I, I, I remember when I first heard about Quit Genius, the first thing that popped into your head was tobacco cessation vendor, right? And you've pivoted into so much more than that. I, I love that multi-addiction approach that you have because it, it may not, I mean, tobacco, you can be addicted to tobacco too, but I think that seeing the other the situations and issues and substance abuse that you can that you really can focus on, I think is a game changer. We don't see very many vendors that are that are focusing in in this. I like your combination of not only the the medication adherence but the therapy approach, right? And meeting the person where they are, whether it's trying to get them before it gets down the down the road where it's unhealthy. But, you know, some might just need that therapy just to talk to, some, to somebody, but others might need that more medication assistance. So I like that. And it provides that access to care issue that I've been talking about this entire podcast, right? It's immediate access. So if somebody needs to outreach, they're there and can talk them through that. And I think that leads to higher success rates. Absolutely. And we've seen a crazy demand in, in the market at this moment in time because of all the statistics that you've mentioned, but also that unique approach that we're taking because it's from the members that actually this spiraled when almost like two years ago, where we found that there was this huge overlap with people with one addiction that actually had another addiction, unfortunately, as well. So we thought, why have two or three different counselors that you need to speak to? Why not have that one counselor that can deliver holistic treatment across the multiple addictions that they have? But the other thing that almost comes hand in hand, and you mentioned this actually earlier on, is the mental health comorbidities that unfortunately people suffer from when they have some substance addictions. And there's that huge overlap between the two. So how do you think employers can tackle this problem of substance addictions with mental health comorbidities in a really holistic manner? Oh, you know, I think that that's a hard one. I mean, we do know we've seen seen statistics where those that do have anxiety or depression are three times more likely to have addictive behaviors, right? So if you're looking at your data and your metrics and you see an uptick in anxiety medications, depression, uh, diagnoses, okay, we, we probably got a bigger issue than we know right now, right? And we may not see it right away. Typically, we see um, those with anxiety and depression, 17% of them probably have a substance abuse issue. 42% of them probably have some sort of addictive behavior. It may not be substance abuse. It could be, it could be a, a multitude of things. But knowing that you have that data in your hands and knowing that we've got these statistics, these historical statistics, you can start to do something about it then, right? The first, the first step is knowing that you have an issue. And if you know depression, anxiety, suicidal um, tendencies are starting to increase, everything else is kind of going to come along with that. So what do you do? Do you need to rethink or reconsider your, your EAP and the benefits and programs that you have available? Do you need to lean on your carrier? Do we need to lean on the PBM to, to pull some certain triggers as well? Do we need to look at management training? Um, do we need to look at alternatives for an EAP? More digital access versus, you know, trying to pick up the phone and getting into, into somebody when the, the network is already maxed out. There's not just not enough providers right now to be able to provide that support. So I think, again, just knowing that you have an issue, then you can say, okay, what, what can we do about it? 
Absolutely. And I think that overlap and those statistics that you've mentioned are, are staggering, really. The fact that so many of those people with anxiety and depression have some sort of substance addictions, the number, the sheer number and the sheer total of it. So last time I checked, it was like 9 million people in the US who are suffering from both mental health illness and addiction. But the crazy stat that almost followed from that was that only 7% of these individuals are getting treatment for both conditions. Radical change needs to happen. If, if someone is suffering from both a mental illness and addiction, they need treatment for both of those. And they need medication-assisted treatment. They need some sort of therapy program and, and medication if needed for their mental illness. They should not just be treating individual conditions in silos. And again, like you said, a ton of work needs to be done there by policymakers, by healthcare providers, by vendors in the space to really help collaborate in what's really two sides of the same behavioral health coin, right? There's the substance addictions and there's the, the, the mental illness. So hopefully the years coming forward, especially with how this is really spiking, we can find ways to identify a solution that's far more holistic in nature. Like you said, I think awareness is, is the first step, right? And then validating that, hey, we've got the data to show that there is an issue. But it's, you know, just lack of knowledge. But if we're aware, at least now we've got the knowledge, it is breaking down that stigma. It could even be just misunderstanding the condition or the care that that person needs, right? Um, and then not knowing where to start. So we've got to have that starting point so that people can get on that road to, to finding um, that support or help that they need. But I keep going back to, you know, quality or quantity of care. Do we have access to care? What is the quality of care, right? Just because there's a, 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 a provider out there or a therapist out there doesn't mean they're a quality therapist. So we need to be careful there as well. Um, you know, looking at time and travel needed. Does that person need time away from work to be able to take care of their issue? Your population needs are going to vary, right? Uh, depending on what the diagnosis is, what part of the country that in there uh, they are in, socioeconomic standards, you know, things along that line. Looking at making sure that there is coordination across all of the solutions. So, right, you've got your behavioral health, and you might have your substance abuse um, therapy. But are they being married? Are they talking to each other to make sure that that person is getting the care that they need from both sides of the coin? Making sure that the referral process is easy and and that and the um, person can navigate that and making sure that it, that folks understand it's okay to seek care. Mm. Some people just aren't seeking care. No, I got this. I don't need any help. I don't need to do anything with it. I can handle it. But there, there does come a time that you, you're going you're gonna to have to seek care. Also keeping in mind that your members' needs, the care needs might change over time. So just because this is the care you need today, that may not be the care you need in six months. And then at the end of the day, paying for there might be a cost barrier as well so these are so many different things where i think the system is failing us right now that we need to address that's really really interesting and and some of the points that you mentioned there are so so pertinent especially around speed of care time and travel to get to care but the interesting one that i wanted to dive into a bit more detail was actually that members aren't even seeking the support that they need right and that's almost another commonality between mental health and substance addictions big stigma associated with seeking treatment for substance addictions for mental health issues which is often a really big barrier to 
for members to go and seek treatment. So what do you think employers can really do to help tackle the stigma in particular? So, you know, we, we talk about that every day, all the time, reducing stigma, reducing stigma, you know, taking that away. Again, I think one of the things, and I hate to keep harping on this, is that management training, right? Mm. Having that manager um, being trained on identifying when there might be an issue. Mm. And then making it okay to talk about it with your with your manager or your your whoever that person may be. That it's okay to come to me as your manager and talk to me that, yes, you're having issues because that's going to affect your work, your productivity, the rest of the team. And then being able to that manager to know where to direct that person to get the appropriate care that they need because sometimes your employees just don't know where to go even if you have it in front of their face on the internet you're you're you know communicating it in all of these different uh, modalities sometimes they just don't know they go into kind of panic mode okay where do i go what do i do what is my company going to think of me if if i you know come to them and tell them that i'm having this issue Am I going to get the support I need? So it's it's. I think it starts with the management level. Absolutely, and that's a really really good point, Kirsty. It coming from a top down level, like reducing stigma, need to come from the influences of the company, right? The CEO talking about the fact that us as a company, we celebrate recovery, right? And, you know, we want to help you and you won't be judged if you do suffer from a mental illness or if you do suffer from substance addiction and and really like being quite vocal about this because unfortunately the stigma that's built up over multiple decades and this almost taboo associated with substance addictions and, and mental illness that we really need to overcome. And that really should start from start from the top for sure. So I really like that point that you've mentioned there. Uh, the other almost thought that I had here is the fact that, you know, rehab and inpatient services have their own stigma associated with them, right? People have to go out, you know, have to take four to six weeks off work, tell their boss that, you know, I'm going to have to take time off work to go to rehab. The stigma associated with the word rehab itself, like you hear celebrities and various different folks attending rehab. And the one thing I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on is we now have these remote services with, you know, that can be done at the privacy and confidentiality of of a member's home. And you've talked about how that might help improve the speed of access and, and things like that. How do you think this can help break down the stigma surrounding treatment for substance addictions and maybe talking to me a little bit about some of the pitfalls it might encounter as well. I, I think that I think that that is really going to help break down that stigma, right? Because you don't have to go to your company and say, I need to take four to six weeks off because of I, I've got to go inpatient. Being able to have that, it, whether it's daily or however, whatever the outreach is, to be able to do it in the comfort of your own home where it's it's may not be as stressed or it could be more stressed, but it may not be as stressful, but you've got that that direct connection um, when you need it, right? So if if you're having an episode at you know 9 a.m. and you need that that outreach right away, bam, you can jump on a, a Zoom call at you know these days. You can jump on a digital and and text your coach if you need to or your therapist if you need to. I, I think it's just a game changer with virtual care. I think that's really going to help. Um, you know, we have seen fifteen fold increase in some of our telehealth visits. We've seen eighty percent of employers are more likely to use a, an emotional or mental health benefit if they can access it through their smartphone. 
you know, that was just something that we didn't see before. I was that type too, that wanted to be in person, my, the doctor touching, feeling me. Now I'm like, no, I don't need to come in. I, 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 you know, let's just talk over the phone. I think 48% are now have tried having a, um, moving to like more online sessions. They're more open to it because they, they had to do it. There was mm. no choice. So I think this has really rapidly made us think outside the box and made us do things that we probably weren't as comfortable doing. It probably could have taken another five years for us to get to this point, but the pandemic forced us to be able to look at care differently and how we receive care. I couldn't agree with that anymore. And almost like touching on that stigma point, I think one of the big ways that we can address stigma is having leaders like yourself talk about it, talking about how prevalent addiction is, talking about how normal it is. This goes like a long way to get people to speak about it and really reduce the stigma surrounding it. And I think really that the aim of this podcast to get people speaking about addiction, to get leaders like yourself speaking about addiction, because this will really help the people out there that are suffering. Changing tack just a little bit now, Kirsty, what are the key things you're looking for in a solution when evaluating it in the behavioral health field? Oh, you know, that's, that's, um, because me, I can tell you what kind of I look for, but then every client is different, mm. right? So I tend to be, and my team tends to be very vendor agnostic because, you know, you could have a number one rated vendor over here, but it may not fit the culture of client B. So it really is making sure that we know what the client's looking for, what their needs are, what the needs of their population are, and closely aligning that, making sure that we're bringing in the appropriate vendors that that align with that. Um, So there really, to me, is no one go-to vendor it really just depends on all of the all of the um, different um, options or wants and needs that that particular employer is looking for. Absolutely. That makes a, a ton of sense. And I guess with regards to the wants and needs, and this is like all vendors in the health and benefit field, not necessarily just on the behavioral health field. What have you seen are some of those commonalities uh, as to what they're looking for? Um, user experience. What does that user experience look like, right? Is it easy? Hmm. You shouldn't have having to be clicking around five, six, seven, eight times to get to what you need or to get the answer that that uh, particular user needs. Um, Access account management, I think, could make or break a a vendor in this space. Uh, Ease of access, implementation is, is pretty easy. Coordination with other vendors that that particular uh, client might have, right? Because we talked about that earlier. If you're along that spectrum, making sure that there's coordination so that um, it's a simpler solution and resolution for the user. So that's what we're seeing across the board. It's not even any one particular uh, vendor in in a certain space. That makes a ton of sense. And I think, yeah, implementation, playing nice in the ecosystem, account management, so, so key to, to keeping quite complex employer clients, you know, happy, right? Especially when it comes to health and benefit programs and how complex they can be with all the comorbidities that we talked about and all the other complexities that we've mentioned as well. One interesting thought I wanted to get your thoughts on, Kirsty, is that one of the big problems with substance addictions and also mental health, mental illnesses is the high risk of relapse. So this 
high risk of members being readmitted to inpatient services because they go from having quite intense support to almost having quite little support, unfortunately. So we're almost lobbying to reframe addiction, not as a choice, but more as a chronic disease that needs long-term treatment. So I was really curious to hear your thoughts on what we can learn from other fields, like the diabetes field, on how best to tackle some chronic diseases out there. Well, you know, and I look... I do look at mental health, behavioral health, substance abuse. It is chronic, right? There, it, You're always going to have to fight against it, right? You can't just, and I, and I know this isn't probably the right uh, analogy to use, but you can't just pop a pill and make it go away, right? You, you can't do that. I think that there needs to be some resiliency support after, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to arm those folks with the, habits or the um, resources to maintain that resiliency and to build that resiliency. And I, I, we see a lot of that today, especially in the mental health for, uh, for clients that pull the trigger on some sort of mental health uh, program or mental health resources. Resiliency is always part of that mm. because I think that is a long-term habit that can, can be used to help kind of maybe ward off having to jump back into to rehab if that's the way you have to go you know really leaning on on those habits and i think the point on emotional resilience is a key one here how it can really help support that member come through what is a chronic disease in in this situation my final question to you kirsty is what advice do you have to employers out there tackling substance addictions in the workforce I think the the number one thing that some of our employers really need to consider is looking at or rebranding, reimagining their, their employee assistance program. Um, maybe it doesn't need to be called an EAP anymore. Maybe it needs to be called something else that really represents what it is for, for your employees, right? I think that, um, you know, making sure that we support the virtual care models. I think looking at the current events that are out there and making sure that the you do have that top-down support. You've got that top-down engagement where it's not just mm-hmm. here's here's our benefits, but here's how you can use it. Maybe we need personal stories, success stories. You need more, maybe even leaders like myself that come out and say, here's how it's affected me. And here's what I've done. I, I've actually done that with my team about two, three weeks ago where I had an issue that I, that I was trying to deal with and I knew it was affecting my work and how I was interacting with my team. And I took it upon myself during a team meeting to bring everybody together and let them see me. I'm, I'm human as well, right? Just because I'm a senior leader does not mean I don't have these issues come up for myself. But I think my team seeing me and knowing that I was able to self-identify and, and, and share my experience with them will make it okay for them to come to me if anything should happen. So really keeping those lines of communication open and and making sure people know it's okay. Everybody's going through this. You know, I, I heard something a while back where, you know, we're not all in the same boat here. We're in the same storm, right? But not everybody's dealing with it the same way that you might be or the, your, your neighbor or your, your colleague might be. So we really need to have some compassion that people are going through things um, and I think that just having senior leaders that have that support, keep those lines of communication open and show that it's okay is, is the start. 
Absolutely. And a huge kudos to you because the vulnerability that you've shown there. And I think, like you said, having senior leaders speak about this, showing that, you know, it's normal to have these issues and to overcome these is is just amazing to see. So thank you so much for those insights there, Kirsty. And thank you so much for joining me today, Kirsty. I really appreciate you taking the time in your incredibly busy schedule and sharing such profound insights. Thank you, Maru. I appreciate you. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and thank you for tuning in. You can find out more about Quit Genius on quitgenius.com and the podcast on missionrecoverypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed our content, I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe and consider leaving us a review. Thank you. Thank you.